Greetings from Quail Lakes Baptist Church in Stockton, California. Thank you for your interest in our downloadable messages. Our more recent teachings, such as Pastor Mark's current sermon series, are always available on iTunes. However, for a more comprehensive offering of Quail's Bible-based teachings from Pastor Mark and others, we offer an extensive archive of downloadable sermon MP3s on our website, as well as information on our fellowship and our ministries. Please visit us online at www.qlbc.org. These messages are also available on CD or cassette. For more information, please call our church office at 209-951-7380. We trust you will be blessed and edified by what you are about to hear. Thank you for listening. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. That's where we are today. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to move into 10 and 11 with this key concept. Rejoice in the power of the gospel. Rejoice in the power of the gospel. In today's message, we're going to spend a little more time than usual actually hearing the words of the Apostle Paul. Because in this section of chapter 10 and chapter 11 and actually moving into chapter 12 as well, we have Paul at his most personal, at his most emotional, and actually you're here going to hear a little bit of anger from the Apostle Paul. I can picture Paul dictating this portion of the letter. We recognize that Paul, when, he's, when he writes the letters, he actually dictates them to a person that we call an amanuensis. An amanuensis is simply a a fancy term for secretary. But I can imagine the secretary at this point saying, Paul, slow down, slow down, because he's getting riled up. His emotions are rising, and his emotions are getting riled up because he's responding to rumors and false accusations about himself. I I wonder if you're following in the news the story of Pastor Andrew Brunson that missionary pastor who was imprisoned in Turkey. He was uh, charged with aiding a coup against the Turkish government. He was planting churches in in a Kurdish area of, of Turkey. And back in 2016, they had a coup. He was part of the folks who were arrested in this coup, charged with aiding this uh, attempt to throw down the Turkish government. He spent two years in prison, but of course, it was, he had nothing to do with that coup. He had nothing to do with those charges. The charges were false. And today, Paul is reacting to false accusations. And he's come to the point where he's just deciding to take them on. All through the subtext of this letter is the fact that when Paul left this church that he founded in Corinth and he moved on in his journeys, there were some false teachers who stepped in and kind of took over and started to tell their own version of spirituality and truth. These false teachers not only are preaching the wrong concepts, but they're also accusing Paul of some very specific things. I don't know if you've ever had a rumor told about you, passed around from person to person, but when you hear about that rumor, what comes to mind? What comes to mind is, I wonder how many people have heard this. I wonder how many people have believed this. You know, how long has the gap been between somebody starting this malicious uh, conversation and it actually being discovered by me? I'm sure Paul is worried about that. 
Because these false leaders are making some claims that we can pick out as we read between the lines. One is that he's not authentic. When he's with people face to face, he's pretty timid, but when he writes letters, he's very bold, bold to the point of arrogance, and they uh, imply that he's hypocritical. They accuse him of worldly motives. They accuse Paul of not keeping his word when he changes his travel plans from time to time. They accuse him of not being a very good preacher. And they say that Paul is a common laborer because they notice that he supports himself by making tents, and they look down on that. They say that he has very little to report by way of ecstatic spiritual experience. We'll get to that in chapter 12. And there's a hint that runs through all of these accusations that he's not very attractive in his appearance. Now, these accusations seem petty to us, but they could really do damage in the Greek cultural setting, especially that last one, because they they value physical beauty, and they value lives of leisure. The Greek culture despised manual labor because this was a slave-filled society, and anybody who was anybody didn't work with their hands. And so Paul, as a tent maker, kind of was looked down on. And that last one about how he looked, it's kind of between the lines, but, you know, every representation historically of the Apostle Paul, whether it's in a mosaic or in a drawing or in a painting, every representation is fairly similar, and they all demonstrate a man who is bald, bow-legged, and short. So maybe he wasn't the Adonis that they were looking for. And his enemies exploit that. But in this passage today, he's going to confront them. And he's going to show that these are not true teachers. They are false apostles, deceitful workmen, and they don't preach the true gospel. So let's get into it. Chapter 10, verse 1, he begins. He says, By the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face, but bold when away. He's telling them he's, hear, he's heard the accusation. I beg you that when I come, I might not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up as the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete." Now, very often, these words are used as a jumping-off point to go to a message about spiritual warfare. And in a moment, we're going to notice that Paul does talk to them about spiritual warfare. But in this beginning of chapter 10, this particular setting, his mind hasn't really gone there yet. What he's talking about is the way that his enemies fight for the hearts and minds of the Corinthian church and what he does in response His enemies, you say, use common worldly means, bragging, fancy speech, showmanship, self-promotion, false accusation. They use these kinds of tools to influence the Corinthian Christians away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ and away from the Apostle Paul himself. And Paul says, we don't do any of that, but we do fight back. 
and the weapons we fight with have divine power. And to illustrate the power of the weapons he uses, he takes the imagery of the common warfare of the day, the day when there was walled cities with castles and those kinds of things, the common warfare of the day. He takes those images and he uses those images to explain the power at his disposal. First of all, he says, our power can destroy strongholds. What is a stronghold? Don't over-spiritualize it. What he's asking them to visualize is that section of the ancient castle which was especially fortified. The stronghold was the place where the people at last resort would would retreat to. It was especially strong so that the armies that were invading couldn't get in there. Later in history, it is called the keep, the keep of the castle. If you read Tolkien, The Lord of the Rings, that that is used there, the, the castle keep. It's a place that nothing can break into. And Paul says our weapons are strong enough to break into that stronghold. Secondly, he says our weapons can destroy the high towers, verse 5. We demolish arguments and every evil pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. The word translated pretension in the New International is a picture word. It literally means high thing. If you have the New American Standard Bible, it says lofty thing. And Paul is saying they think their thoughts are so lofty. They think their ideas are up there like a tower in the castle tower where they could rain down the arrows, but hopefully the enemies couldn't reach the tower. You, you see? And Paul's saying our, our weapons have no problems reaching those towers. They think they can't be touched up there on the high thing, but they can. We can bring the tower down. And thirdly, he says our weapons can take captives. If the tower is destroyed and the stronghold is destroyed, the war is lost and captives are taken. And in the imagery here in verse 5, the the, the captives themselves are thoughts. We're going to take the false ideas, the wrong teaching, all that stuff that these false teachers are proclaiming. We're going to take those things. That's the enemy. We're going to take them captive by the power of God. We can do it by the power at our disposal. And lastly, It's going to be punishing the disobedient. Verse 6, and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. That's the final step in the war of the day. The leaders, the rebels who are leading the opposition are punished by the victors. These false teachers, he say, they may seem strong. It may look as if their ideas cannot be stopped, but they can because our weapons are stronger. But saying all that, do you notice what he doesn't say? He doesn't tell us what the weapons are. He doesn't spell it out for us. And he doesn't spell it out for us because he believes that his readers would already know his weapons. And indeed we do. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. That's His weapon the pure gospel of Jesus Christ. Even though the false teachers may have all sorts of gimmicks and showmanship, even though they may dazzle you as they preach, be very impressive personally, 
we have the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Jesus Christ carries with it the power of the Holy Spirit. And that power cannot be resisted. The simple gospel is his initial weapon. But moving on, we'll see in chapter 11, he talks about how much he loves him. Love is also part of his arsenal. He reminds them that he loves them like a father. They are his spiritual children. Right now, as a father, he has to show them tough love, but it doesn't mean he doesn't love them. It's part of his arsenal. And also, his very humble approach, his gentleness, part of the arsenal he has that will defeat them. Verse 1, chapter 10, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Ironically, that's what the, 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 the enemies are criticizing, his, his gentleness, his humility. But Paul says, no, that's, that's part of the weaponry, part of the warfare. And through that, God's will will be done. And so turning to the people who have been influenced by these leaders, Against these leaders, he levels this accusation. Look at verse 12 of chapter 10. We do not dare to... He's being sarcastic here. Let me lead with that, okay? We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves when they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves. They are not wise. Right? The folly of these self-appointed self uh, uh, super apostles is they set the standards for their evaluation then they evaluate themselves by the standards that they have set and when they do that they always come out looking good but we don't do that he says when i read that verse i thought you know i thought of my mind went to hollywood with all of these ceremonies all of these uh, award ceremonies that they have seems like every time i turn on the tv there's another award ceremony that i am invited to watch why would i do that but in any event I'm invited to watch. And what's happening there is their massive self-congratulation sessions where they present awards to one another from one another based on standards that they have developed about one another. But true and lasting, meaningful commendation, Paul says, comes from the Lord. Look at verse 17. But let him who boasts boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Go over to verse 4 of chapter 11. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I am in the least inferior to these super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. I'm just struck by how personal this is and how specific this is. He's, he's genuinely hurt, it seems, by those who are following these false teachers. And eventually, after naming them, these false teachers and their characteristics and their qualities as over against his, his own, he talks about the power that is behind these false teachers. Verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their action deserves. And finally, he gets to the point that behind all of this rumor-mongering behind all of this showmanship, all of this bragging, all of this, you know, me-centered approach to ministry is Satan working. 
through these instruments. And it's His work that they're doing. The false teacher's power is from Satan, but the true apostle's power is from God. And Paul now opens the curtain and shows us the spiritual reality behind all of this. It's just not all about personality. It's just not all about ego. It's not all about pride. Satan is pulling the strings. And one of the dangers we face as Christians in America today is we too easily buy into the mindset that the problems that are out there is man-made, therefore the solutions that are out there must be man-made. And we forget that behind what is obvious to us, there is a spiritual reality, the spiritual warfare that's going on. And the one that leads in the efforts against the knowledge of God is Satan himself. He's the real enemy. In fact, the word Satan means adversary, and he's God's adversary, and he's your adversary as well. And when we talk about Satan, we're not talking about a generalized idea of evil. We're talking about a being who embodies evil. And when he pulls the strings, he doesn't make it obvious. He loves to hide. One man has said, when Satan is at work, you never smell sulfur. Nor can you glance down and see cloven hoofs. Rather, he is sweetness and light until he has us. Little by little, we are nudged away from the righteous. Little by little, we are nudged away from the pure. Little by little, we are nudged away from the humble and the true. And that is what I need to remember and what you need to remember. The next time temptation begins to tug at you, the next time you feel it, and what thought that comes into your mind is that God is some kind of stuffed shirt that doesn't want us to have any fun. Satan is the fun one. But he doesn't want you to have fun. He wants you to be destroyed. He's all pointing and prodding in the same direction to his own destruction. The battle is real, and Paul is opening the, the curtains and saying, you need to see the stakes. You're being swept away in falsehood. So the question for Paul and the question for us is, how do you win this battle? And to win the battle, there are two things you need to do. You need to know where the battle is taking place, know the battle lines, and, to your, and you need to remember your weapons. First of all, the battle lines. Go back to chapter 10, verse 3, and there's a word there I want you to notice because it describes where the battle line is. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The word world there in Greek is actually literally the word flesh. Some of your Bibles probably have flesh as the translation. Both translations work. Because what Paul is describing, you could think of as the operating system in the fleshly world, the operating system of the physical world, a system of thought that kind of permeates everything that we see around us today. It's a system of thought in which the word Satan never appears, but it is right from his playbook. I once saw a cartoon of Calvin and Hobbes, you know, the, the comic strip, it used to be in newspapers, but now you have to buy them in bound books. But there was uh, one of the editions of the comic strip where Calvin, who was the little boy in the comic strip, is making a pronouncement. He's saying, he's reciting what he wants out of life. And here's what he says. He stands and says, I want fame. I want luxury. I want diversion. I want to skip school whenever I want. I want the ability to hit Susie on the head with a snowball when the mood strikes me because I am the center of the universe and values are what I say they are. 
And the humor that's there is, in fact, that that's exactly what the opinion shapers of our day would never say but absolutely believe. That's the operating system of the world. The self-centeredness that says, I am the center of the universe. Values are what I say they are. I can determine what's right and wrong myself. And that is right from the playbook of Satan. He does not have to play an obvious role to be pulling the strings. In fact, the people that are most effective in promoting that idea don't even believe in Satan. But they are used by him. This way of thinking. We must believe that values do not come from within. They come from above. And they come through this book. Don't go down the road of another gospel another teaching. Know where the struggle is. It's a struggle for your mind. And Paul says in Romans, your transformation comes by the renewal of your mind. The battle is there. And remember your weapons. We have the same weapons that Paul had, the simple gospel of Jesus Christ, the transformation that happens when you say yes to the forgiveness that Jesus offers. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was stained by sin and counted as a rebel against God's cause, but now I am part of the family. I, wa- I, was, I am cleansed. I am welcomed. I once was bound by habits and hang-ups of the world. They trapped me, and I couldn't get away from them, but now I'm free to live a life that God has in mind for me because he's designed this for me. All this is because I know I'm forgiven, because I turned to Jesus in repentance, and I asked for his love to be applied. And he gives me that love and asks me simply, love me back, and I do. That simple gospel carries the power of the Holy Spirit. That's your weapon. Secondly, the weapon of love, just like Paul, the great motive of God, the great heart of God. 1 John 3, dear children, let us love with, not with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. We, when we live lives of love, The world will notice that there's something different about us and it becomes a great tool for the spread of the hope that we have. The third weapon is humility. Paul came as a servant, not as a showman. The false teachers have come as showmen, impressing people about themselves, by themselves. But Paul says, I want to show you the gentleness of Christ. Jesus also served. He was among us as one who served. And as when we serve and we show humility... That's a weapon in our hand against the falsehood of Satan. Fourthly, the Scriptures, they are our weapon. As we study and we live by what we read in the Word of God, in Jesus we fight temptation. A daily immersion in the Word over time brings us to have the ability to effectively battle. When Jesus was facing the temptations, remember in the desert, over and over again, He said, it is written, Back to Satan. He was so saturated with the Scriptures that they just flowed out of him, and it was a great protective weapon. And then prayer. God is listening, and he responds in love to the prayers of his people. So pray. And your very faith is a weapon in this battle. Believe in advance what will make sense in reverse. That's faith. Believe in advance what will make sense in reverse. Trust that what the Lord says is true even in the moments when it doesn't look like it. Trust that what the Lord says is true even in those times when it doesn't feel like it. It's not seemingly to work out, but there will be a time when you can look back and in reverse you will see it is all true. 
Through the pathway of life, there's the time when God answered my prayer. There's the time that God directed me. There's the time when he showed me compassion and mercy. There I was blessed. There I was encouraged. All these little nudges that God has given me over the journey of my life. It's all true. He's always been there. Believe in advance what you'll be able to see in reverse. That's a weapon in your hand. We have these same weapons that the Apostle Paul had. And we have the same battle before us. And Paul in chapter 11 then shows the motive for all of this. Chapter 11, verse 1, I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing so. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the servant's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Why am I engaging in this tough love, he says, for you? Is because as a spiritual father, I have a wedding in mind. I see you as betrothed and the bride of Christ. I was reminded of a story by Sonia Ely. She's, she lives in Dallas, Oregon, and she has a little granddaughter who loves to play with dolls and watches too much crime drama on TV, evidently. One day she was watching her granddaughter, her name is Christy, and Christy staged a wedding with her little dolls. She had the congregation dolls, she had the wedding party dolls, the bride and the groom doll, and she had the pastor doll presiding over the ceremony. The pastor doll, the, the pastor was her teddy bear. And at one point, the, as the ceremony came to the time when the pastor makes the pronouncement, usually it's, I now pronounce you husband and wife, Christy had a little different wording in mind. This is what her teddy bear pastor said. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say may be held against you in a court of law. You have the right to an attorney present. Now kiss the bride. Christy had a wedding in mind. She didn't quite get it right, but she had a wedding in mind. And Paul has a wedding in mind. All of this energy, all of this passion is motivated by love. His spiritual children are flirting with something they shouldn't flirt with. This flirtation that they're having with these false teachers is like a betrothed person cheating on their fiancé. It is unseemly. It is revolting. It is shameful. Paul is saying, don't flirt with another version of Jesus other than what you find in the Word. Don't flirt with another gospel which is no gospel at all because only the true gospel has the power to save and only the true gospel will set you free. But there is out there that which would mimic and that which is false. J. Philip Arthur writes about his own country, Britain, and he says this, Right now, any British town of modest size will contain a number of former church buildings that are now used for other purposes. Because in slow stages, that witness was undermined as liberalism wormed its way in, little by little in the congregation. And they were introduced to a gospel of good behavior rather than repentance and faith. A gospel of good behavior and vague spirituality is no gospel at all. We are the pure bride of Christ. We must teach the pure teaching of the Word. And there alone we find salvation. Paul declares that these enemies, they will get what their actions deserve. But for the bride of Christ, where we're headed is an everlasting love relationship with Jesus himself. So stay true because it's worth it. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, 
for the fact that you love us so much. Thank you for the fact that sometimes love must be tough and clear and bold. And Paul's willing to do that. And Lord, we pray that we too would be willing to stick to the pure gospel, make us people of the word, people of prayer, and people of God, and show us the way, enable us not to deviate from it so that we can be used to rescue the perishing. Help us, Lord. We pray all of this knowing that this is your heart of love. We rejoice in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The team is back to lead us in a closing song. Let's stand together as we sing. just a moment we're going to leave this place and go to whatever we're facing today but before we do that let me ask you this do you know for sure that you have found forgiveness in Jesus Christ is there that confidence in your heart that there was a time when you turned in repentance to him and said yes to his love 
If not, today is the day because there is a false gospel. There are false teachings out there, but the pure love of Jesus simply says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You will rest your soul in me. You can do that today. As others are leaving, you may slip forward and go to the prayer table next to the organ. Our prayer counselors would love to introduce you to the Savior they know, and you can start this journey of faith. Or maybe you're struggling with something else, an issue, a question, a decision you're making. They will pray for you as well. You can slip forward. But first, let's all pray together. Lord, help us to be sure. Help us to be true. Help us, Lord, to be obvious witnesses for you so that the world would see in us the kind of humility and love and gentleness that you evidenced while with us. And we long to see you. So dismiss us with your presence and enable us to represent you well, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today. The earth will shake and tremble before 